0: I think we're finishing up chapter 14, am I right? We're coming up to the final judgments. We're coming up to the coming of Christ. And what he's done, now I'll do my little review like I do each week. Tribulation period, seven-year period that was prophesied back in Daniel, uh, when Christ would set up his kingdom. You had a delay in between the 483rd year, or the (coughs) 489th year, Wait a minute. It'd be 490 years. You had 483 years that passed by, seven years was hanging in the wing. It got postponed because the Jews did not accept Christ. The gospel message went to the Gentiles. Paul says when the last Gentiles saved, will be raptured out, hopefully, and then this last seven year period will tick off and it's primarily going to Israel, God's last call to His chosen people. They'll accept the Messiah and then the kingdom can come in. The promised Davidic kingdom, the promise to Abraham, all the way to the promise to Adam, where the seed of the woman come and crush the serpent's head, God will completely do away with evil. That we see evil exists because God has to make his characteristics and his persons or his personality, whatever, known to his creation. He's using evil now to shape and mold you and I, to be like Christ. We see that with Jacob and Laban and so forth. And he'll eventually take evil and dismiss it. It will be gone. So where he will make a creation with a curse that's been lifted where there's no pain, no sorrow, no sin, no death. Okay? And so we see this tribulation period where God's going to call men to repentance. He's going to purge the kingdom for the coming king. And you've got three sets of judgments. There's seven judgments in each set. Jesus Christ, we see in chapters 4 and 5, is the only one that's worthy enough to take this scroll from the throne room in the throne of God. It's in his hand. It's the title of the kingdom of earth. It has writing on both sides, and we see once it's opened, it's judgment. John sees the vision of Jesus opening these seven wax seals that are on the lip of this scroll so it can be opened. And as he opens these seals, he sees judgment that comes down upon the earth. And again, it's the callment to call into repentance, to judge evil men, because we know that the promises of God is that he'll eventually do away with evil, and to purge the kingdom for the coming of the king. So he goes through the first six sealed judgments, and then he says, Wait a minute, time out. You're probably wondering what happens to the Jewish people, what happens to the church. I forgot to mention it. I just kind of jumped into the judgments. Let me put a pause here and go back. And then he sees the 144,000 Jewish people sealed, 12,000 from each 12 tribe of Israel. And then he sees a multitude before the throne from every tribe, language, and tongue. That's the rapture of the church. And then he says, all right, let me pick back up. He opens his seventh seal, and with that, seven angels come out, each one of them has a trumpet. And as each angel blows its trumpet, he sees more judgments come down upon the earth. And between the sixth and the seventh trumpet, he does the same thing. He goes, wait, I forgot to tell you about a couple of other events. And you see an angel come down with his his, his uh foot on the land and on the sea. And again, that's an encouraging vision to show that, yes, even though all this, what seems to be chaos, and bad things that are coming down on the planet looks crazy, God is in control. Foot on the land and on the sea. And then we also see two witnesses that come up, and they're going to prophesy for three and a half years. It's God's final call to Israel, final call to mankind, repent, come under the auspices of God in the throne of Christ. Then he picks up with the seventh trumpet, and the seventh trumpet blows, and you see seven angels come out, and they have the final judgments of God. There's seven bowls, and each one's going to pour its bowl out on the earth, and when the last bowl is poured out, that's it. But what he does in between the seventh trumpet being blown and the bowls being poured out, he says, time out. Let's stop the whole show. In chapters 12 through 14, he goes through seven primary characters in this entire play. And he shows you Satan in his role. He shows you the woman, which is Israel, that's going to give birth to Christ, but Satan tries to kill. That's Herod, when Jesus was born, killing all the boys two years and under. And then we see Jesus ascending to the throne, where he sits, and he goes right to the tribulation period, and he shows Satan's dealings with Israel, the woman, during the tribulation period. Then he shows this beast, this political leader that comes up from the sea, Gentile nations. In his role he is going to unite the world economically politically and then we see another beast that comes up from the earth that is the religious leader the idea of a beast is government or a political system or a system that is without god so it's just a brute a brute beast kind of like an idol a statue government without god is just a dumb idol it can do nothing So now what you've got is you've got this political leader that unites the world economically, politically, and a religious leader that unites the world religiously, and then they join forces. Church, state, united. The idea here is what you'll see in the end times is a thrust or a movement towards man bringing peace amongst all the nations and uniting us economically. We're here. We're close to it. We're moving towards it. And then what we see, let's see, that's four characters, and then we see the 144,000 that are at Zion with Christ when he comes down. Then we see uh, the angels and their role that they call out three woes, that you have got a heavenly announcement of the gospel, calling men to repent, calling men to come to faith. Okay? And then what you see is the final character, last but definitely not least, Christ in his coming. Now you've got two comings or two, I shouldn't say two comings, you've got two notations of his second coming. One here, chapter 14, verses 14 through 20, and then you also have one in chapter 19. They are one and the same. Because remember here, he's in a parenthesis. He's not following any chronological lines in chapters 12 through 14. He's simply just announcing to you the characters And he's giving you their role. He's giving you a synthesis of what they do and what part that they play. And in chapter 15, he's going to pick back up chronologically. So let's look at 14, the coming of Christ, which chronologically happens in chapter 19. Which means that's after the bowls that are poured out, the destruction of Babylon, the destruction of the political system, the destruction of the religious system, and then Christ comes, okay? All right, let's look at it. Verse 14, so far so good? I'll try to do that each week. I know it burns up some, a good portion of our time and it slows us down a little bit from getting to the end, but I'd rather do that so that you understand it because this is a very important book for us today because a lot of these things are happening and it's a great witnessing tool because you can take this out and show them, say, look at all these events that were recorded 2,000 years ago that are happening exactly like they were written. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. What about that? See? Get right in their face. Be bold. Verse 14, he says, I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like the Son of Man, with a crown of gold on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. So the crown of gold on his head is representative of what? He is a governor. He's a governor, or he's a ruler. Okay, he's going to govern and rule the earth. Now, him sitting on the cloud, what uh, what language is that from? Anybody remember? I'll read it for you. Daniel chapter seven. Uh, let me see. <clears throat> Verse 13, don't turn there, I'll just read it. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient of days, which is God, and was led into his presence. And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Okay? So he says, he looked, and there before him was a white cloud, seated on the cloud, was one like the Son of Man, with a crown of gold on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. That is Jesus Christ. He's got a crown of gold on his head. He's going to rule the planet. He's got a sharp sickle in his hand. Now, you remember what a sickle is? Some of you farmers, you see it. Death carries it, okay? It's that long stick with a handle, and it's got that half-moon blade on it, and you just they used it to harvest wheat. What do you think he's going to use that for? Well, he tells you later on he's going to harvest the grapes, which is the peoples, and he's going to throw them in a wine press and he's going to stomp them. Judgment time has come. He's going to rule, but he's going to judge. It says in John 5:22 that God has not, God does not judge any man, but He has appointed all judgment unto the Son. Just like everything was created through Jesus Christ for Him to Him. And of him, uh, Romans 11:36 36, and Colossians 1, 15, also all things will be judged through him. Jesus said many times, I did not come to judge the first time he came. He came to save. He came to seek and save that which is lost. He went out like a lamb. He comes back like a lion. He come to judge. Now remember, four offices of Christ, prophet, priest, king, judge, <laughs> prophet, priest, his first coming, king, First judge, then king on the second. That's what you see here. The sickle, he's judging. The crown, he's ruling. Okay? It says, in his hand, all right, verse 15, then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was seated on the cloud. Now, that word, another angel, does not mean that verse 14, that that's an angel. It's the son of man, or like the son of man, it's the identical language that we just looked at in Daniel. Another angel refers to back in verses uh, 6 and following, where you saw the angels flying. And again, that word is another Allah, one of the same kind, not Ederos. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was seated on the cloud Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Meaning, one more day and they'll spoil. This is prime time. That's it. God's mercy and his patience has run out. Habakkuk 3 says God sits and waits silently in his temple. That's not a good thing. Because that means his wrath is building. And it's building and it's building. And at some point it's going to be poured out. This is it. Time has come. Jesus Christ, if you remember, when Stephen was stoned in Acts 7, Stephen says he looked up and he saw the heavens opened up. And what did he see? he saw Jesus doing what? Was he seated or was he standing? He was standing. Now wait a minute, in Hebrews it says, Jesus Christ died for our sins once and for all and was seated at the right hand of the Father. Yeah, but when Stephen, one of his children, was being stoned, what did he do? He stood. And I think he's been standing ever since. And I think he's been standing there and every time he sees one of his children suffer, He's saying, come on, Father, let me get him, let me get him, because it says we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who can, that Jesus wept. He hurts when we hurt. That's one of the greatest comforts to you and I, when you undergo trials and suffering. Is God on the throne? Is this a cosmic accident, or do I know he's under control? Yes. Does he care? Does he love me, or is he this cold deity in the sky? No. And I think he's up there saying, come on, let me go, let me go. And the father has him by his robe and saying, not yet. Not yet. Well, yet. The time is right. This is it. And he comes down. And it says, so he who was seated on the clouds swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Boom. One swoop. See ya. It's that quick. Paul puts it like this. They will be saying, peace and safety, peace and safety, and destruction will come upon them like a flood. Enjoy your heyday now, fellas, you great politicians and you great wealthy men and wise men, because your time is coming. And that's the idea. Verse 17, another angel came out of the temple of heaven, and he told, or he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire, came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, take your sharp sickle, gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. Okay? So that's the idea. Grapes. Israel was always referred to as a vine. Okay? You and I are branches that are grafted on that, uh, we are the branches, Jesus is the vine, and so forth. Anyone who does not produce fruit, anybody remember what it says will happen? Be cut off, tossed into the fire. Now, I personally think that that's a believer who's not producing and God chastens him, can take him out. Here it says that these angels, after Jesus harvested the earth, go and they cut the grapes. And I think that's a separation of the wheat and the chaff. I think that that's what you've got in Matthew 25 when Jesus comes and he separates the sheep from the goats. I think it's Matthew 13 where you've got a great harvest of fish and you separate the good ones from the bad ones. I think it's Matthew 12, I think it's 12 or 13, where you've got the weeds and the wheat that are growing together and they're harvested and they're separated. He takes the grapes, And he puts them in the winepress. And it says, verse 20, that they were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and the blood flowed out of the winepress, rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia. That's about 180 miles. That's the exact distance of the Megiddo Valley. If we get to go out in Israel in July, who knows? We will go to a place called Mount Carmel, and you'll look out towards the Mediterranean Sea, and you will see this valley of Megiddo. Megiddo literally means uh, Slaughter Mountain. And it's this valley, and it's shaped like an arrow. It's 180 stadia. Napoleon Bonaparte said that it was the greatest place to have a great war, because all weaponry could be brought in from all sides and so forth. That's going to be called the Battle of Armageddon. I think that's what you have here. And it says that God judges the wicked. He comes and he stomps on them like you would stomping grapes. And the juice from the grapes flows out. And the blood from this slaughter flows out 180 miles as high as the horse's bridle. Now, that doesn't mean a horse that's standing up. Because if there's that much carnage, what's happened to the animals? Okay, they're on their side. So that's what you've got. Now, go to 19, and let me show you. Same event. Look at verse 9. It says, Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Now, who are those that are invited to the wedding, wedding supper of the Lamb? Jesus Christ came, remember? And He went to the Father and He said, I want this bride, I want this woman. Father said, now she's filthy, she's a prostitute. She's prostituted herself with the nations and the devil. You don't want her. Jesus said, I want her. How much? Because you remember in the Jewish culture you had to go to the Father and agree on a price called a mohar for the woman that you wanted to marry. and You kivitz over goats and camels and robes and stuff like that and you come across a price. What that father got was supposed to go to the daughters. That's why Rachel and Leah were so miffed, remember? When Jacob said, let's get out of here, they said, yeah, because here you've worked for 14 years, and our father has grown great in wealth, and we got nada. So they said, yeah, we're out of here. And so he agreed on a price, he would give it to them, go off for a year, and build a house in the father's mansion. And then he would come on a time and day she knew not of, she had to be ready with her bridesmaids and so forth. He would come with his groomsmen and he with a loud shout would yell to her from the window or from the ground up to the window. She would come down. There'd be this huge parade through town, a wedding feast at the Father's mansion. They would go in and consummate the marriage and come out and have a great feast. Here you have the wedding feast of the Lamb. Jesus Christ right now is making the proposal. Will you marry me? And all you have to do is what? You say yes. And in John 14, he says to his disciples in my father's mansion, many rooms, I'm coming to get you and bring you to there. If it wasn't true, I wouldn't tell you. And so he came and he went to the father. He went to the father and said, what's the price? I want her. Father said, it's going to cost you your death. He says, it is done. And he paid the mohar, the price for the bride. He purchased us from among men, it says. And now he's gone to the Father's mansion, and he will come at a time and day we know not of, we're to be ready, we're to have our oil lamps trimmed, we're to be watchful, we're to be faithful. And he will come, it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, with a loud shout, with a command from Michael the archangel, the dead in Christ will rise, okay? How do you get invited to the wedding feast? You've got to have the right wedding clothes on, you just simply must say yes. Jesus says, will you marry me? Yes. All right? It's that simple. I did that. I married uh, John and Vonda yesterday. And I love doing weddings because I give a gospel message. I got a band going anywhere until I pronounce those two man and wife. I got captive audience. And so when I do a wedding, I like to bring out that story. And I give the gospel presentation. I say, all you have to do, I say, the wedding proposal is out there. The wedding feast will come. You must simply just say yes. And here he says it. Now he added, these are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet, worshipped him, but he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I like that verse. Because the Old Testament prophets, Jesus said from Moses to Zechariah, spoke of me. He says to the Jews, you diligently search the scriptures in hopes of finding some kind of great omen, but guess what? Those scriptures talk of me, and I'm the fulfillment of them. Now, here it comes. Verse 11, he says, I saw heaven standing open, this is John speaking, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Now, Back in chapter six, you saw a white horse. You remember, it was the first seal that opened and a white horse came and this guy on the horse had a crown, so he's a ruler too. Is this the same person? No, it's not because that person in chapter six is bent on a conquest and he is the antichrist. People are gonna think that he is Christ. In 2 Thessalonians chapter two, it says he goes into the temple and proclaims to be Christ and he deceives many but he is not. Here is the true Christ. Now, when a, when a person would come in on a white horse, it was victory. When, they drove, or when a king rode on a donkey during peaceful times, it uh, showed rulership there. Jesus came in on a donkey, remember? Palm Sunday. They rejected him. Went into the temple. Said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only you would have known on this day, what would have brought you peace? Now it's hidden. They rejected him. Now he comes down on a white horse. Meaning victory is implied. It's done. There's no battle. He stomps them. And it's interesting down the road here. It's gonna, you're going to see that the uh, that the peoples of the earth that are fighting are going to literally turn their guns and try to blow Jesus out of the sky. Huh? Now watch. I saw heaven standing up there before me. Was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and he makes war. Remember, crown on his head, sickle in his hand. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. Now, what are the many crowns that are on his head? He's ruler over all the nations, over all the world. Uh, His eyes are like blazing fire. Remember what that means? We saw that in chapter 1. God is omniscient. He sees all. What's fire? It's judgment. No one escapes. Says he's dressed in a robe, or he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. Who is he? Later on, it says he's king of kings and lords of lords. That's Jesus Christ. Okay, he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, because he just stomped on him from hip to thigh. We saw that in chapter fourteen, verse fourteen, or uh, on down. I think it's verse twenty. And his name is the Word of God. Who is the Word of God? John, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is it? It's Jesus Christ. Verse 14, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Now, who is that? Are those angels? Now, they're on white horses, and they have a robe that's dressed they're dressed in a robe white and clean fine linen who is it it's us how do you know well look at verse 8 says fine linen bright and clean was given her to wear that's the church fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints so guess what here comes Jesus here's the scene now let me give you a chronological line I believe the rapture will happen the Jewish people, the veil will be lifted, and they will come to Christ. And they will have the Holy Spirit dwell within them, and they will be sealed. You will have the seven-year tribulation period that will happen. During that time, I believe, we're in the Father's mansion. We're receiving our rewards. At the end of it, I believe Jesus Christ comes down, and all those who are raptured up, I think from Adam forward, because First Thessalonians 4 says, those who are dead in christ rise first old testament those look forward to christ new testament those who look back at him dead in christ rise first and we who are left who are still alive get snatched up with them and so we're in heaven so those people who are in heaven during the seven-year period are glorified bodies of adam forward all those who have died in christ come up out of the grave with a glorified body those who are left on the planet, you know, you've got that Left Behind movie that's coming, that's out now. I don't know if you've seen it, the Lahey series. We get a new body, in a flash and a twinkling of an eye will be changed, and we're caught up with them. So, now you have all Old Testament believers that come out of the grave with a glorified body in heaven. Their souls, when they died, went to heaven, and their body comes up out of the grave, meets their souls. They've got an eternal, glorified body in heaven. We who are still left Our bodies are changed, and we have a glorified body. Now, that's what's coming down with Jesus right here. There are the 144,000 that are still on the earth. There are those who come to faith during the seven-year period that are still on the earth. When Jesus harvests the earth, in Matthew 25, it says two are going to be in a field. One will be sucked down to hell. The other will be left. The only people on the planet at this time are believers when he comes down. Now, you, later on, it's going to show that they're going to blow him out of the sky. But when he eventually lands, when he sets his feet on Mount of Olives, and he harvests the earth. That's all that's left. Okay? So that's the picture. Christ coming on a white horse and all believers with glorified bodies that have been taken up are coming down with him on white horses, meaning we're all victorious. When do the people that are on the earth get their glorified body? I don't know. Good question. Sometime, somehow. But what I want you to see here is Jesus Christ coming in the air on Pegasus. And he's flying. And you and I are on white horses flying with him. And at this point, I'm going to ask Jesus if I can buzz the tower. Because I'm flying without a plane. I'm flying without a hang glider. It's biblical. You see that? Now, watch this. We are the armies of heaven fallen. In verse 15, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Two edged sword. It's a cleaver. It's not a little rump fire in the Greek. It's this huge sword, double edged sword, kind of like the sickle. What's the sword that's coming out of his mouth? Is it a picture of Jesus having the sword coming out of his mouth and he's doing this? No. Why does it refer to this sword coming out of his mouth? What's coming out of his mouth? The word of God. What does God judge the nations by? The word of God. What's the standard? It's the word of God. What happens to man when he departs from the word of God? He gets judged by the word of God. You know, you're watching these trials. I love watching them. And one of the things that amazes me, I mean, I get too emotional, I have to stop watching because I start throwing things up the TV. I won't break it. But, you know, it's, it's unbelievable to watch the two camps. You've got one that holds to a standard and to the law. This is it. You don't deviate from the left to the right. And then you have the other camp that molds and twists and shapes it to suit their own desires and to serve them. And then when it goes against them, they hide behind it. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. In Amos 7:8, God says that he has dropped the plumb line. It is the word of God. It is the standard. It's a fixed point of truth. It's not up for discussion or debate. Here it is. You've got one of two options. You either obey it, and it will go well with you, or you disobey it, and it will not go well with you. And that's what he will judge the nations by. And the nations will stand before him and go, but, 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 sorry, here it is. You've got a general revelation, a natural revelation without. You've got a conscience within, and you have a word of God that has been divinely inspired through man written for you and a spirit within you that illumines the truth. It says men will be without excuse. It says he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has the name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Why is it on his thigh? Because that's the strength of a man. Remember, it's his legs. And Jesus, when he comes down, he comes down with his legs. He plants his feet on Mount of Olives. The angel in chapter 11 plants his feet on the earth and on the sea. Chapter 1, Jesus plants his bronze legs on the earth. Authority over the planet that he will judge. Now watch this. Verse 17, I'll end with this. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried out in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings political leaders, generals, military leaders, the mighty men, horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free slaves, small and great, rich, poor, black, white, yellow, red. And then he says, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider and the horse and his army, but the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet had performed the miraculous signs, and they were both thrown into the lake of fire. So they try to turn their weapons on Christ and they're gone. Now, here's the moral. Second coming of Christ. One of two options. You are A, verse 9, invited to the feast. Or B, verse 17, you is the feast. I'll end with that. Take your pick. We better pray. Lord, we thank you for this text, it's hard. Each week we come and we see Genesis, the beginning, and we go to Revelation, we see the end, and we see horrific judgments come down upon the earth. We don't wish that on anyone. And we pray for those who don't know you because we see what you're about to bring upon this planet. It will come to an end. It's not if, but when. We've got a word from you. and You are faithful to your promises. So we ask as a group, and we keep to mind those that are close to each and every one of us that don't know you. My sister, we continue to pray for her that she'll till the hard soil of her heart